Have you ever been the recipient of a re-gift? You know, that's where, uh, you know, sometimes somebody receives a gift from someone and maybe it's like an unsatisfactory gift or maybe it's a duplicate. And so instead of returning it to the store, they will keep it, you know, they'll put it in their shelf and kind of store it away. And then later on down the line, they might give it to someone else. Um, and, and it's quite a dangerous action to do that, you know, because obviously you might be giving it back to someone who gave it to you in the first place if you don't remember. Or you, you just got to kind of remember where that had come from. But people will debate the etiquette and the appropriateness of re-gifting. Um, have you ever received a gift from someone and asked yourself, was this actually for me? Was this actually for me? You know, maybe you received a, a, a shirt with a sports team logo on it and you don't even follow that team. Or maybe it was another piece of clothing that just wasn't your size. And, and you know, sometimes people will give gifts out of obligation or maybe it's a last minute thing. You know, it's just it's not necessarily a heartfelt gift, but they are re-gifting. You know, again, you ask yourselves, was this actually for me? We're going to be looking at a, a chapter in the book of Zechariah this morning. Zechariah in the Old Testament, of course, it's not a book that we often will go to. The easiest way to find it is go to Matthew and go to, uh, go two books back. Zechariah, then Malachi, and, and then Zechariah. Uh, again, we don't often go to the book of Zechariah, uh, but it's one of, the, one of the minor prophets. And he is preaching. He, he is uh, prophesying during the time when the children of Israel are coming back from their Babylonian captivity. They're coming back out of captivity. Zechariah is preaching to them. They're returning home. They're rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. And they're going to ask this great question in Zechariah chapter 7. They're going to ask this question, do we need to continue fasting? Do we need to continue this fasting, this self-imposed fast? Now that the temple is being rebuilt, do we need to do that? And God's going, his answer to them is going to demonstrate his awareness of their motives. Look at verse 5 specifically in chapter 7 of Zechariah. God says, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? Uh, if you got the King James or the New King James, I like this, how it says, it gives it double emphasis. He says, for me, for me, you know, Jesus said in the New Testament in John four twenty four that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And, and we have to ask ourselves, we have to examine our lives quite frequently. Are, are we worshiping in spirit and truth? Are we worshiping truly from our hearts, from our spirits? Is it a heartfelt effort? Are we worshiping according to truth, God's instructed worship? You know, sometimes I believe we can be guilty of regifting our devotion to God. Maybe, it, maybe we're worshiping insincerely or out of a feeling, out of obligation that we're supposed to be here this morning. Let's examine what God has to say about this in Zechariah chapter 7. Let's notice this first thing. He's going to notice your favor. Was it actually for me? Zechariah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month with his chislev. Now the town of Bethel had sent Shurzir 
and Regamelech and their men to seek the favor of the Lord, speaking to the priests who belong to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month these seventy years, was it actually for me that you fasted? When you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do you not drink for yourselves? Are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous along with its cities around it and in the Negev and the foothills were inhabited? We see God ask this question, was it actually for me? See, the people, they were fasting, they were mourning, not because they were sorrowful, because they had this self-pity about themselves. You know, fasting in, a, in the biblical sense, it's simply just abstaining from eating and drinking over a period of time for spiritual reasons. Now, the Jews uh, in the Old Testament, they fasted quite frequently, although the only time it was prescribed, uh, it was a requirement for them, was on the Day of Atonement, uh, the day when the, the, the high priest would go into the most holy of holies and offer sacrifice for for all of the people of Israel, for all of their sins. That was the only time that it was actually ever prescribed to fast. But even in the New Testament, Christians, today, we are not required to fast, although Jesus did sort of expect that his uh, disciples would fast. You know, he would say something to the effect of, when you fast, you know, it was something that uh, was expected, but again, not required. And, of course, there's great benefits to fasting, as we know. There's self-discipline. There, there, there's our focus that we can have uh, on God. Uh, but, of course, you know, the, again, the New Testament warns us about fasting, that it shouldn't be something showy. It shouldn't be something that we put on for others to see. But we notice here in Zechariah 7 that this fasting during the fifth and seven months was memorializing the, the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, of course, again, the, their temple was destroyed. They went into captivity for 70 years, and, and they created these fasts on their own. The, these fasts weren't commanded by God, but they created them on their own to memorialize the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. One of their great governors, a man by the name of Gedaliah, that we can read about in Jeremiah chapter 40 and 41, who, who, who was executed, they fasted for these reasons. Not that they were required to fast, again, but we're seeing that they are observing these things with the wrong motives. It was not an act of spiritual devotion, but merely an act of self-interest. Look at, again at verse 6. This is where God emphasizes this. He says, When you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves, and do you not drink for yourselves? That's an empathetic yes, yes. See, God's saying, you're not going to win my favor by simply eating, by simply drinking, by simply fasting. And then verse 7, he says, what you should have been doing, you should have been listening to the prophets I have been sending you over the years. Again, he says, are these not the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? See, instead of inventing these fasts, these things I have not commanded you, you should have been listening to the words that, I, that my prophets have been speaking to you before you were taken into captivity. Of course, we could spend all morning going through all of the major and the minor prophets and reading of, of one thing after another that God was proclaiming to them. 
just a couple to kind of to get our feet wet this morning in Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Isaiah here prophesies to the people of Israel, and he says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure the iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. See, the, the Israelites, they were continuing in their sin. God sent the prophet Isaiah to them. And he says, listen, you keep bringing your multiplied sacrifices to me as if more and more sacrifices are going to mean something to me. You're offering multiplied prayers. Again, the more and more prayers, this is not what I'm requiring of you, but I'm requiring of you to get rid of the sin that is in the land. And Jeremiah, another prophet of God, in Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in that day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in all the way which I command you and it may be well with you. Again, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is telling the people, it's not about the sacrifices. Right? It's not about the sacrifices. It's about obeying my words. Probably the best example that we have, probably we're more, most familiar with, is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul, uh, King Saul of Israel, is going to be disobedient to the word of God. Uh, God... Uh, through Samuel, goes to Saul and he tells them that he is to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites in the land. Utterly destroy. Get rid of all of them. Destroy all of their possessions. Everything. And as we know, as the story goes, they didn't do that. And King Saul kept King Agag alive. And the best of their livestock, they kept. They kept that around. And God said, I regret making King or Saul king at that moment. And then God sends Samuel back to Saul. Saul runs up to Samuel and says, I have carried out the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel says, what is that bleeding of sheep I hear in my ear? What is that sound of sheep? Why am I hearing sheep? You are to utterly destroy everything. And if you remember, Saul then kind of starts to blame it on the people. Right? That I, I went to do this thing, but they, I was afraid of them and, and they wanted to keep the very best so that we could, well, we could sacrifice it to you, God. We intended to use the spoils to sacrifice for you. So God, what we are doing is for you. It's for your favor. It's for your support. But Samuel told Saul that his worship was void of obedience. Look at verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15, or excuse me, verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than to the fat 
of rams. See, Samuel is telling Saul that obedience trumps sacrifice. Saul, you got 99% of the job done, but you didn't get it all done. You didn't fully complete the mission. See, God has no delight in, in these sacrifices which are designed to be a substitute for a humble obedience. See, God wants us to obey. And look at verse 23. He even compares what Saul did. Look what he compares it to. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. That's a sorcery. And then he says, and insubordination is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. See, friends, worship void of sincerity is condemned in the scriptures. See, do we worship God for who he is or what he can do for us? Is it because he is the almighty creator who loves us or is it because he is our judge? See, would we serve and worship him today if there was no promise of heaven? Why are we here this morning? Again, we need to examine this question. Why are we here this morning to express our praise and our glory to the one who deserves it? Or again, is it for our own self-interest? Is it because we feel obligated to be here? See, God asks us, your favor, is it actually for me? Let's continue reading in Zechariah chapter 7. Starting in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. See, we see God saying here, your concern, was it actually for me? Another message from Zechariah pointed out some serious social problems going on in the land. There was a lack of true justice, a lack of kindness, a lack of compassion. The, the, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, the strangers, the poor, they were being oppressed. And they refused to pay attention to these matters And they turned a stubborn shoulder. It's the picture of an ox, right? There's an ox and you have a yoke upon it and you're trying to turn it one way, but it's stubborn. It's not moving. That's what these people were like. God has always, always been concerned with the life of the vulnerable and the unprotected. And we can see this in the Old Testament where Moses, he would inform Israel that, you know, if they were to take care of the aliens, Uh, the strangers in the land, if they were to take care of the orphans, the fatherless, the widows, that their work would be blessed. Uh, Their their blessings were tied into that in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, James chapter 1 verse 27 tells us that pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And that word there, visit, it doesn't simply uh, mean, you know, showing up and saying, you know, hey, every once in a while, but it, it's an extended sense of caring for one's physical needs. Visit orphans and widows in their distress. And then we must have an interest in others, especially those who need our care, the vulnerable. God's concern is for all, including the unfortunate, including the defenseless. God is saying here, if you are so concerned with what I think about your fasts, Again, which I never commanded you, 
Why are you not taking care of these things that I have commanded you? Why are you not taking care of the orphans, the widows, the, the, the aliens, the strangers in the land? The, the psalmist in six, Psalm 68 verse 5 says, God is the father of the fatherless and the judge of widows. In Psalm 146 verse 9, he says, he protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow. And friends, if that is God's concern, that should be our concern as well. Again, God asks us, your concern, is it actually for me? Let's notice the last few verses in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Zechariah says, through inspiration, they made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, said the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus, the land is desolated behind them so that no one went back and forth, for they made the pleasant land desolate. God says, your heart is it actually for me? Was it actually for me? See, we, we saw in that, in that verse 12 that they had made their hearts as flint so that they could not hear God's word. And the picture here is it's as hard as adamant stone, as diamond hard. You know, it's refusing to be penetrated. It's refusing to be persuaded. You can't change one's mind. And because of that, a great wrath resulted. Right? God sent them into captivity for 70 years. And God called his people over and over again through the prophets, entreating them through them to quit their evil ways. However, they would not obey. They would not obey. And he called them and they did not listen. And so what does God say here? He says, therefore, when they called me in their distress, I did not listen. Again, they went into captivity for 70 years and Jerusalem, the land that they loved, their homeland was laid desolate. They weren't allowed to go back and forth. This tragedy should have never taken place. They would only have listened to God's word, obeyed his commandments. And friends, God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He cannot be fooled. Right? He, he knows why we do the things we do. He knows if we're seeking to manipulate him, to put on a show. We can't re-gift our devotion to him. We can't re-gift it. I, I know I've used this illustration quite a bit since I've been here, but... Uh, the, the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Again, we're familiar with this account where this man comes to, to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, right? And he says, well, I've done these things. I've done these things. What more do I need to do? And Jesus tells him, go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the four and then follow me. He, Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew that he had a problem with materialism, with his great wealth. And he said, go and sell all your possessions and then follow me. But the great wealth, right? This was this man's heart's desire. And Jesus loved this man. Jesus was his creator. But nowhere do we see Jesus running after the man, begging for him to return, to come back. And the ruler, because of his possessions... He was not able to give his heart to Christ. He was not able to fully give his heart to Christ. It was as if it was flint, turned as hard as flint. 
See, do we want God to listen to us? Do we want God to listen to us? Then we need to love him with all our hearts. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest of commandments. This is the first and foremost commandment. So if we are going to make our hearts as hard as flint, God's word won't be able to penetrate it. It won't be able to change our lives if we're not studying it, if we're not listening to it. And the Bible, oddly enough, when it's talking about the heart, it's not referring to the physical, you know, literal organ that's within our body. But it's talking figuratively about the intellectual, the emotional, the, the spiritual, the, the moral qualities of a person. That's one's heart, mind, heart and mind. God wants us to have honest hearts, seeking hearts, understanding hearts, obedient hearts, and even broke and contrite hearts. Right? Hearts that are ready to repent whenever one learns of the sins that they may be committing. And God asks us, your heart, your heart, was it actually for me? Well, again, I don't know this morning if you've ever received a regifted gift, right? but God knows. God knows when we are regifting our service to him, our devotion to him. Consider these thoughts this morning. Am I regifting to God? Is he getting my best? Or am I giving him the leftovers? Am I giving him a substitute? See, God is worthy to be praised and worshiped because of who he is. And if we think we can offer a re-gifted worship to him, but then also live unholy lives that is not according to his word, we're going to be mistaken to believe that he is going to accept that. See, God should never have to question our motives. He should never have to question our motives this morning. He should never have to ask his children was it actually for me? Was this devotion actually for me? This morning, if you're here with us this morning, and maybe uh, you're a Christian, uh, but your life hasn't been in service to him as it should be, we know that uh, the Bible says that we need to repent of those things, that we need to come back to the Lord, come back to him and serve him and him only. This morning, if that, could be, if that may be your need, we know that there are many of us here that want to pray for you and to help you and to get you back into a right relationship with God. This morning, if you're here with us and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you have not had the, the opportunity to be, uh, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to be added to the church of, the, of our Lord and Savior, we would also love the opportunity to do that for you this morning to speak with you, to, to uh, study the Bible with you, if you have any questions about that as well. We know the Bible says that we need to hear the word of God. Our faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized for the remission of our sins. And again, at that point, God will add you to his church, his church that has been here since Acts chapter 2 this morning. If we can help you in any way with any of those requests, please make those things known as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.